Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Good to see all of you in worship. Welcome. If you join us via live stream, we're so glad that you joined us that way as well. We have been looking at our series, Foundations. This is the final Sunday of our four-week series, Foundations. And uh, we're looking at how the gospel challenges us to commit to following Jesus together, which involves regular rhythms of prayer, reading and reflecting on the scripture, and as we'll see today, the call to deepen relationships in the church. If you missed any of the previous three messages in our series, you can always go back and look at those, listen to those at our website at granthamchurch.org or through our podcast on the go. Let's jump right in this morning. Grab your Bible if you have that or your Bible on your phone, whichever, and turn to the book of Colossians with me. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture, first Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 15 through 21. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. And as you find that in your Bible, would you stand with me in the reading of the Scriptures? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. 
The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. And now 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. He that is Christ died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead to others, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Me to God. You may be seated. Who knows what this is? Yeah, that's Wilson from the movie Castaway. This is actually a picture of Wilson, the volleyball turned into friend of Tom Hanks' character in the movie Castaway. Would you believe that this movie prop sold to an anonymous buyer for over $308,000? If you haven't seen this movie, I recommend it. It's one of my favorites. Tom Hanks plays Chuck Nolan, a FedEx worker who was traveling internationally for his job and his plane crashes somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. He wakes up the next morning on an uncharted island. He's able to go around it in one day and realizes he's the only person there. There are no animals, just some coconuts, some fish out in the sea, maybe some crabs here or there. And packages over the next few days continue to wash up on shore. And one of those packages, and I'll point out that a lot of the stuff that's in those packages were just virtually useless. You couldn't do a whole lot with them. And so one of them was a a volleyball, a Wilson volleyball. If you've seen the movie, you remember this. Tom Hanks is trying to start a fire. It's obvious he's, it's been a while since he's taken a wilderness survival course. But he finally is is down there in the dirt and he's he's trying to get some friction, get a fire going. And And the stick breaks and he cuts his hand. And he gets so mad, he reaches over and grabs with his hand the volleyball with his bloody hand, chunks the ball, kicks some things around. And about a few minutes later, he realizes there looks like a face from his bloody palm print on the volleyball. And he puts some, of, uh, some cloth in his mouth and he, and he fixes up the face just right so it looks like a person. And then he sets it there on a stump and everywhere he goes for the next 
four years. Sorry if you haven't seen the movie. You should see it. Uh, you should have seen it by now. This movie is almost 22 years old. So, uh, so this volleyball, Wilson becomes his friend and he talks to it just like it's a person. Now, why? Why would Chuck Dolan, Tom Hanks' character, talk to a volleyball like it's a person? And we would see that and we would think, the guy's losing his mind. He's, he's going nuts. But actually, he's trying to keep it. He's actually trying to keep his mind. He's trying to keep his sanity because through this, among other things that we learn in the film, we are relational beings. And we don't function well. We are not healthy creatures if we are not having conversations and relationships with others. So I think Castaway is a great example of how human beings were created by God for relationships. You know, we are social creatures. We desire relationships. We desire companionship for conversation. We actually need it to be healthy and whole human beings. And as we can see today, and studies are showing, social media and digital communication isn't helpful. It certainly isn't helping us fulfill our longings for connection and community. Instead, it gives us the illusion of it. We think we're well connected. We think we've got several thousand friends, but we're, we're isolated and we're lonely and we're keeping ourselves from actually knowing one another and people knowing us. And so I'd like us to think about why that is that according to Scripture and, and begin by rooting the call to relationships in the soil of biblical theology and the very nature of God himself. I didn't tell Pastor Melissa where we, I was going with this message, but she, she was touching on this in her prayer. So let's look at that together because then I want us to see, after we look at the theology, I want to invite us to see that the cultivation of deep relationships is foundational to our life as disciples and to God's reconciling work in the world, which we read from Paul in Colossians and in 2 Corinthians. If you go to the book of Genesis, you can read this passage. Genesis 1 verse 26, it says this in the creation story. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, when you see that, and if certainly if you're not familiar with the Bible, you think that's strange that God is referring to God in the plural. Now, I know in the historical critical method, which we referred to last week, if you look at this, this seems sort of typical for a deity to refer to the plurality of the deity's court. But we know as Christ followers who read the scriptures through a Christocentric lens that there's more going on to this verse than meets the eye. We know that this text is speaking of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus reveals God to us in this way. Jesus referred to himself as the Son. He prayed to the Father. Right? Another person, not to himself, but to the Father. And later he says that when he leaves the earth, he will send the Holy Spirit. And not in the, in, as an it, right? But as a person. He will send the Holy Spirit to be a comforter, to be a guide, to be an advocate. To be the very presence of Jesus with his disciples. Here's uh, one way of communicating God's triune three-in-one 
natures. You've probably seen some version of this before. I've certainly shown something like this before. But I think it's good to remember what it is that we believe and what it is that we confess and why we do that in the liturgy of the church. This little illustration here shows us that there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. The Father, we would say, is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. You, you get the picture. And within the Trinity, we see this perfect harmony of relationships, that they act as one. There is unity. There is equality. There's no subordination here in that, except that which Jesus the Son does to the Father so that he might be exalted and lifted high and worshiped as God himself. There's unity. There's equality. There is distinction. So God is three persons, not three modes of expression, right? That's called modalism. That's a heresy. Let's not go there. God did not create the Son. He was with God in the beginning. Does that sound familiar? It should because that's what the first chapter of John tells us. Jesus Christ is eternal with the Father. I don't know what it was last night if I was thinking about this sermon, but as I went to sleep, and I don't recommend doing this before you go to sleep, uh, I was thinking about the infiniteness of God, right? Like, no one created God. God has always been. Now, you know, if, if my brain was an actual computer, everything would start locking up and would shut. I would need to reboot. I mean, that's what I feel like is going on in my head when I try to get my mind around the infinite nature of God. But we can't because he is infinite and we are finite. And while Father, Son, and Spirit are one and equally God, they have distinct functions. Stanley Grins puts it this way in his book, Created for Community. He says, the Father is the originator, the Son is the revealer. So Jesus Christ says, when you see me, what did he tell his disciples? You've seen the Father. Jesus said in in his teachings, regarding his teachings, I only speak what the Father tells me to speak, right? It originates with the Father. I only do what I hear the Father telling me to do. It originates with the Father, but the Son reveals the Father perfectly. And then the Spirit, Grin says, is the completer, going out over the earth, completing the work of God in the world, completing the mission of God the work of the gospel through us in the world. And this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the scripture tells us, is love. And I think that this is where we actually should be rooting our Trinitarian theology. 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. Now think about that. God is love. Not just God is loving. He isn't just loving. He is love. Now how is that possible? Well, it's not only possible, think about this with me, it's necessary for God to be Father, Son, and Spirit. Think about that. The Catholic philosopher Peter Creeve said it like this. He said, if God is not a trinity, God is not love. For love requires three things, a lover, a beloved, and a relationship shared between them. So look at this. The the doctrine of the Trinity matters, number one, because Jesus' relationship to the Father 
matters. He reveals God perfectly and is God himself. And then two, the spirit in you and at work in the world while unseen is the very loving presence of God the Father and God the Son with us. And number three, the triune God who is within himself a harmony of relationships calls us to share in this divine dance. So think back to that, that verse. Let us create human beings in our image. You see, when God created human beings, he desired that we would share in his communal nature and reflect his image and glory into the world. I've said this before, N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar says, our lives should be like angled mirrors reflecting the glory of God into the world and glory back to God himself. Living, look at this, in union with others and the creation which he has given us to manage. Are you catching the deep theology that is in this? Hopefully you are and you're able to start connecting some dots as to why we should care about certain things in the world and certainly why we should care about cultivating meaningful and deep relationships. Maybe this visual will help us. Scripture says we were made in God's image, the image of a relational God who is love. We were created to share in the loving community and the oneness of the triune God. But we know how the biblical story goes, right? Sin disrupted and broke apart these relationships, strained, even in some cases destroyed these relationships. And we can see evidence of this in all sorts of places in the world. Therefore, as we heard from the scriptures this morning, God needed to reconcile us to himself through Christ Jesus so that we might then be participants in the work of reconciliation. That is bringing people back to God, being agents of new creation, and working with the Spirit to redeem all that God has made. Restoring, reconciling, participating in the reconciliation of God in all of these relationships. You know, that could be a new way for you to hear what Paul wrote. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19, which we read earlier, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What does this mean? It means instead of us jumping straight to being ministers of reconciliation and peacemakers somewhere out in the world where there's civil unrest, racism, war and violence, which are all good things, by the way, But we first need to think of the call to relationships as a way of participating in God's work of reconciling all things to himself. If we want to be true ministers of reconciliation, we must begin there. In other words, when we open ourselves up to one another and when we share our true selves, not the social media self, but when we open up and share what's going on inside, when, when we reveal warts and all and we, we're vulnerable with one another, not just the nice pleasantries, how are you doing, oh, I'm fine, but you go below the surface 
and you let people in and you let them see where you are with God, where you are on your journey. You see, we're not only doing the work of real discipleship, but we are also then better suited to serve God out in the world, to join the kingdom resistance and come into the gospel story. Folks, if we're going to be agents of new creation, hands and feet that transform the world, we ourselves must first be transformed in relationships, amen? Here's how I invited us to envision this in the Gospel of the Kingdom series. You'll remember this graphic if you were here with us for that. We talked about how God created two spheres, heaven and earth, and those spheres are overlapping. We see how God's intention through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus that he wants to bring these realms together. Jesus is the first fruit. Jesus is the prototype. Jesus is, is the prime example of what God is going to do with all of creation. Heaven and earth coming together, renewed, restored. And so Jesus has come to rid the world of sin and death, we said, what we can rightfully call hell. But remember, that means that Christ came first to get the hell out of you and to get the hell out of me. And so how does he do that? He does that as we work out our salvation in relationship with other disciples. What am I saying? I'm saying that if we're not forming the sort of relationships and entering into the kinds of spaces that make that possible, then we're ultimately not helping anyone. Oh, we might be busy. We might be doing a lot of good things, and certainly God will do that in his mercy and in his grace, but we are neglecting our own spiritual health. I tried to think of a, an analogy. I'm always not the best at coming up with that. I had a youth pastor who was, was great. That's the one thing I remember about his ministry was the analogies that he came up with. But I, I thought of it this way. Like when, when we're not focused on relationships and we're not in spaces where we're opening up being vulnerable with each other and, and giving attention to our own spiritual health, we are like an obese, sleep-deprived, adrenaline junkie EMT. Let me say that again. You're like an obese, sleep-deprived, adrenaline junkie EMT. And isn't it a bit hypocritical and a bit obnoxious even to look at how this person's trying to help others when they themselves aren't healthy? In fact, you could say that despite our best intentions, when we do this, we're, we're forfeiting the real work of discipleship for something else that we hope will make us feel better about ourselves. You know, I've, I've in, in pastoring folks in the church and talking to people, I've seen this time and time again. This is the way that some folks deal with the identity crisis within them. They try to do good works, but that's not the order of things that God desires for us. And so it's, instead of doing the real work of discipleship, some think that this will make them feel better. And instead of dealing with the brokenness in our own lives, we give attention to others, we put up a facade, we give our social media self, we don't let people in. Oh, life is great, it's all good. I'm fine, I'm great, My, I, that, things haven't been any better. But is that really true? <laughs> What's lurking inside? Where is the darkness? What is God saying to you? How, how far is it that you have to go to be like Christ? Let's talk about that. Let's work that stuff out together. 
As again, I say, I, I, I know because I've experienced it. My friends, I submit to you that it's, it's possible that well-intentioned disciples can use their busyness, can use their ministry, even pastors, and, and our consumeristic approach to the church as a way of hiding from God and others. And though we may not literally be naked in a garden and hiding behind some brush, but if we listen close, we might hear God say to us, my child, where are you? And so what we need is to recognize that we were created by a relational God, a triune God who designed us for intimate relationships, which he wants to put on display in the world through the church. Listen to what the author Milt Rodriguez writes in his book, The Community Life of God. He wrote, all, all natural relationships are but a picture of the one divine relationship that exists within the eternal community of the Godhead. There's only one relationship on this earth that is not a picture or reflection of the divine relationship, but is rather an expression of the fellowship of the Godhead. This is the relationship of the members of the body of Christ. This is because we are constituted for the specific purpose of expressing the community life of God. The specific purpose, right, that the world would look at us and say, oh, how they love one another, and look at their relationships that prove it. The kindness, the love, the mercy, the grace, the vulnerability, the openness, the welcoming, the inviting, the accepting of others in those relationships is made evident to the body of Christ. Oh, that the world would say that about us. Amen? Amen. Here's how we, we talk about doing this at Grantham Church. Many of you have seen this image of the spaces. Right now, we are in a public space. And don't you know, there are good things about the public space. There are things that we do every week in the public space that might not even work well in these other spaces. But this space also has its limits. Mainly, we're looking at the back of somebody's head. What does that tell you about our proximity to one another and the, the kinds of relationship, the social dynamic that is at work in this space? So this space has its limits. And so I submit to you, if this is the only space that you're, you're, you're working, well, it should go without saying that you're not coming into the spaces that make vulnerability and sharing and deep, meaningful relationships possible. So we value the public space, but we also recognize its limits. The same with the social space. So it's the personal space because Jesus himself had a small group. Jesus believed in personal space. He knew that coming into that space and walking with a small group of people was what would influence the rest of the world. This is what the gospel is born out of. This is what the church is born out of. This is, this is how the Lord changes the world through the personal spaces, and also through the intimate space. I always like to remind people there was Peter, James, and John. That was Jesus' intimate space. That was their intimate space to come closer to Jesus, to learn how to become a disciple. So what does it actually look like then to deepen relationships in the church through the personal and the intimate spaces. Let's think about that together as we prepare to respond to this message and ready our souls to receive communion. What does it look like to deepen relationships in the church? Number one, 
It looks like getting close enough to be honest and vulnerable with others. Getting close enough to be honest and vulnerable with others. I've certainly seen personal space. I've seen small groups that are just sort of scratching the surface, just staying surface. No one ever really actually sharing, what is God saying to me? Where's the junk I need to work out of my life? Where's the repenting that I need to do? Uh, you know, where is the growth happening? Where are the ways that God is stretching me and speaking to me and I'm learning to deepen my faith? So getting close enough to be honest and vulnerable with others, what would that look like for you? Think about that. And, and do you have spaces like that that you're entering into with other brothers and sisters in Christ here at Grantham? Number two, what does it look like to deepen relationships in the church? It looks like growing in love, humility, patience, trust, mercy, and grace. Yeah, I know that it's possible to be in personal intimate spaces and for this not to happen. You know, we, we, some of us, we, we have uh, some deep-seated brokenness that happened because of the way our mom or our dad treated us, the kind of things that were said to us or done to us growing up. But for the most part, you see, when we, when we enter into the personal and intimate spaces and we are actually being honest and vulnerable with one another, it causes us to become more humble. We, we hear that, you know what, we're all really in the same boat. We're all in the, on the same journey here. And listening to people share their vulnerabilities, should, it should humble us. It should cause us to be more patient with others. I want people to be patient with me and my brokenness. I should be patient with them. And in the sharing and, and being vulnerable, we build trust, right? And we're quick then to extend mercy and grace to one another. You see what I'm saying, church? These are the kinds of ways in which we develop and deepen and learn to express that fruit of the Spirit is by entering into these spaces and going as deep as we possibly can, as they are designed to do. Where is this in your life? Where can you deepen your faith by becoming more honest and vulnerable, by growing in love, humility, patience, trust, mercy, and grace? Maybe the Lord's speaking to your heart about that now. And then number three, it looks like submitting to Christ by committing to other disciples. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews says, do not give up in meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We have to be consistent with one another, right? I mean, if, if you come into the personal space with folks once a month, let me just be honest, it's not cutting it. It's not the way human relationships work. If I only talk to my wife once a month, how do you think that's gonna go? Wife? I heard a laugh back there. That's not how relationships work. That's not how we tap into the mercy, the grace, the humility, the patience, the trust, the honesty, and the vulnerability that God desires for us so that we might experience that Trinitarian community with each other. So I encourage you to do these things and think about how is the Spirit leading me to get close enough to be honest and vulnerable to grow in love, humility, patience, trust, mercy, and grace, and submit to Christ by committing to other disciples. 
As we often say at Grantham, how is the Lord speaking to you and what are you going to do about it? And also ask this question. As you think back on the previous messages, how has the Spirit been at work in your heart through our Foundations series? How has God been speaking to you about the call to follow Jesus, about the call to prayer and the regular rhythms and routines of that and about the call of, of engaging Scripture in a mystical, relational level of knowing the God revealed in Jesus and not just a Bible study exercise. And then today, how is God calling you to come closer? Not to pull away, not to watch at a distance, not to have a social media relationship with the church and with Jesus, but to come closer where it gets messy, but where it gets good. May our participation in communion together this morning at the table be a visible and outward expression of our desire to walk in obedience to the word of the Lord in the days ahead. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we recognize that the foundations of our faith are critical. Lord, would you speak to our hearts about where you're calling us to follow you more closely as your children to lean in and to, to press in to be disciples of you who take serious a life of prayer, who are regularly engaging the scriptures and who are opening up and being honest and vulnerable in the personal and the intimate spaces of the church. Lord, and I pray that, that the words that I've spoken this morning would find a resting place in all of our hearts in the garden bed of love, of acceptance, of mercy, of grace. Plant those seeds within us, Lord, that they might grow and bear fruit of the kingdom. For it's in Christ's holy name that we pray. And all of God's people said,